0: Look toward heaven, and number the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove. And a young pigeon. And he brought him all of these, cut them in half, and laid each half over the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the inequity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Tavanites, the Hitties, the Jezites, the Reparim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites.
1: I had a friend uh, in college who, some of you probably have a friend like this who they don't know a stranger. Like, if you ever walked across campus with this friend, it was like the time of your walk would double because they would just see people they knew, make friends with people they didn't know. And one time we went to a football game, and uh, all of us had tickets. Uh, A few of our friends didn't, and and he was one of the friends that did not. And so he ended up uh, sitting outside the stadium and, not surprisingly at all, became really good friends with some people that were tailgating next to us. And sat and watched the whole game with them on TV. And he came up to us afterwards and said, you are not gonna believe this." I made friends with this guy. And we're like, "No, we will believe that." And he's like, "No, no, no, not that." Um, but I made friends with this guy, and he is really rich, evidently, and uh, owns a limousine company. And you know, he, he just he, he told me, he said, "Man, I really like you a lot, and your friends seem like great guys." And I didn't have a lot of money in college, and and I'll tell you what. I, for one of these next home games, I'm 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 going to pick up your friends, and I'm going to pick you all up in a stretch limousine and take you out to dinner and take you around the town. And so he came and told us this, and we were like, who? Like, who? who is this guy? I'm like, yeah, hey, his name's Jeff. Okay, uh, What? A, you know, like, yeah, I'd never been in a stretch limousine before, so we were like, sure, of course. Well, they arranged the time. It was a month later, and... Uh, As the weekend approached, we just were kind of in disbelief. Like, is this really happening? Like, I I can't believe you you made friends with this guy and he made this promise. This seems so strange, and it was strange. Um, The night came that he was supposed to come, and, you know, it's it's, it's getting a little bit later. We're already really skeptical that this is going to happen. But when the time passes that he's supposed to come... Uh, The longer we wait, the more we doubt this is going to happen. The longer we wait, the more questions enter into our heads. Like, were we really dumb to believe this? Uh, Were we dumb to get, like, dressed up and thinking that we're going to, like, get picked up by a limousine? Truth be told, the guy did show up, and we did drive around a limousine, and it was very strange and cool. But the longer that went on, really, we began questioning my friend. Like, are you pranking us? Is this guy pranking us? Uh, you all have had that experience. You've been waiting on something. Maybe someone's promised you something. The longer you wait, the the more questions, the more doubts enter into your head. Where we are in Genesis 15, in the passage Dean just read for us, God has made over-the-top promises to Abram. He's promised him that he would make a great nation out of him. He's promised him a family. He's promised him a land. And we don't know how much time has elapsed between that first promise until now. It's been about five to 10 years. But Abram is waiting and he's been waiting. And as he continues to wait, more and more questions come into his mind. And so what we're gonna look at tonight, tonight is such a beautiful and important passage. But the way it pictures faith And this is one of the reasons I love Abram so much. It gives such a realistic picture of what it looks like to have faith and to have questions. What it looks like to experience a season of doubt while at the same time praying to God. And so we're gonna look at two things tonight. Uh, What it looks like to bring our questions to God and God's response to those questions. So let me pray for us real quick. Father, Father, Uh, Like Abram, uh, there are times where we've had to wait, where we are waiting, even right now, Lord. And sometimes in those seasons, uh, Lord, we question whether or not we can trust you, believe you. Father, tonight, I pray that as we look at this passage, Lord, you would point us your promises that are certain and eternal and unchanging. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So how do you respond to over-the-top promises? Uh, Whether that's a promise made by uh, someone you know, or maybe you've seeing an advertisement for an over-the-top promise, or or maybe even just reading this passage or reading the Bible. Uh, God makes some over-the-top promises in Scripture. How do you respond to those promises? Even in just the passage we, we read, God makes some alarming statements. He says, I am your shield. Your reward will be very Great. I have found in my own heart uh, and in students and people that I meet with that, that we have what, what I've coined the yeah, but syndrome, like, yes, I hear that promise, but I don't know if I can trust you. Yes, I hear you say that you are a shield, but you know what? I feel pretty vulnerable. Or maybe you've heard God promise that he's a just God. And yes, Lord, I know you're just, but but I see so much injustice. Promises Abram his reward will be very great. He promises that he'll bless him. Lord, I know you're a God that loves to bless, and I hear you say that, but at the same time, I feel alone. And I'm hurting, and I'm suffering. We hear the promises Maybe we trust them, maybe we don't, but, but we have that voice in our head, yeah, 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 but that's not squaring up with what I'm experiencing right now. Abram goes to the exact same thing right here. God begins in verse one with a promise. I am your, your shield, your reward will be very great. And then immediately Abram says, yes, but, but God, I still don't have a child. You see, three chapters before in Genesis 12, God promised him that he's going to make a great nation of them, he's going to bless him. And Abram's hearing yet another promise. Your reward will be very great. I'm, I'm your shield. I'm going to protect you. And, and, and Abram is wondering what is going on. But Lord, I don't have a child. I don't have an heir. And evidently there's someone in, in their camp. You, you know, there's a group of about 300 of them. Someone named Eliezer of Damascus. Is that supposed to be my heir? No. God says someone, one of your offspring will be your heir. So what are we to do when questions like that arise in us? What are we to do when we have doubts that arise in us like they arise here uh, in Abram? You might, I think it's probably tempting to come here and think tonight, okay, I'm coming to this Christian ministry thing and I bet since this thing exists and people come voluntarily to it that they probably don't have the questions that I have or or maybe they don't have the doubts that I have. Uh, if that's you, first of all, we're really glad that you're here. We, we want RUF to be a place where people, regardless of your backgrounds, can come uh, with your faith, with your doubts, and, and to hear the message of Jesus. But, but second of all, I can assure you that this room is full of people who have tons of questions, wh- whether they acknowledge them or not. And I can assure you that The main character in this passage, Abram, has lots of questions. I think that's one of the most beautiful things when you come to Scripture is that when it describes the Christian experience, just read through the Psalms. The Psalms are full of cries of pain and anguish, wondering, God, where are you? God, awake. Why is this happening to me? I say to say, God is not afraid of your doubts. He's not afraid of your questions. Scripture is not afraid of of them. Bring them to God. There is the common belief out there that if I have questions about God, or or if if I'm questioning what's going on, then maybe I don't have faith. Or if I have faith, then then, then that means there's not any room for questions. And, And certainly, I will say this, sometimes there's ways we can question that will actually drive us away from faith. But As long as you and I are sinful people and we live in a broken world, our faith is always going to be intermixed with questions. We're never going to have a pure and undefiled faith. God wants us to bring those questions to Him. Don't let them linger. Bring them to Him. Bring them to a trusted friend. Bring them to Him in prayer. And and I love... I just love reading this passage, noticing how God, look how patient God is in the midst of this. Verses two and three, you have Abram questioning, I'm childless. You've given me no offspring. God takes him out. Abram, look at the stars. Number them as you can. You can't. Your offspring will exceed that. So shall your offspring be. He's reminding Abram, the God who created these stars is the God who's making this promise to you. You can trust this God. And then we're told, verse 6, Abram believed God. Okay, so he's been questioning, he's been doubting. But verse 6, Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. There's a lot in that passage. But what that passage is saying is that Abram believed, he believed God, and God looked at him and declared him righteous because of his faith. In God. Look, I, I need to say something here from the outside because I think sometimes we have wrong conceptions of faith. I think it's easy for us to think that faith is just this blind leap and maybe this is the way to explain to you as a child. Like faith is just this thing, you know, as Christians, you know, we don't really care about the facts. We just, you know, I know it's crazy, but we just, that's where, that's where faith comes in. Th- that is not the way the Bible talks about faith. Faith is accepting the facts of God's promises and trusting God at his word. Abram is not taking a blind leap here. He's examining God's promises and he is trusting them. And God says that when we do that, we too are credited with God. We're actually declared righteous. But here's the deal. Abram in verse six, is not declared righteous because of how great his faith is. If you've read, or if you've been with us any week right now, you know Abraham's faith is so up and down. And all you have to do is just turn to the next chapter to see how far down it can get. Abram is not saved because he has really strong faith. Abram is not a hero in the Bible because he has really strong faith. Abram is credited righteous because of the object of his faith. The reason he's declared righteous is because he trusts God, who himself is righteous. When you all sat down tonight, I doubt many of you were really struggling with whether or not these chairs could handle you. But if you were, it really wouldn't have mattered how much trust you had in the chair that you're sitting in. The the thing that matters ultimately is how well that chair is built. It doesn't matter if you have the most confidence or the least confidence. What matters is not your confidence. What matters in the grand scheme of your health is the quality of that chair. And what's true of Abram is true of us. What saves us is not the quality of our faith, how enthusiastic we are with our faith, how consistent our faith is. What saves us is the object of our faith. And look, I, I say this because it can be so tempting to put our faith in our faith. I, I think sometimes we can get caught in kind of this navel-gazing introspection. It's important to look at your faith and to see where you're placing your faith. But too often we can get caught asking the question like, okay, do I believe enough? Well, did I believe that one time when I, when I said that prayer um, do I need to walk the aisle again? G- God is not interested in, in how effective your faith was at that time or how strong your faith is. He wants you to have strong faith, but he's much more concerned with where your faith is. Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. The security of your relationship with God doesn't depend on the quality of your faith. It depends on your faith in God. Abram believes, and yet, if you look at verse eight, he still has questions. Look at verse eight. God promises that he's going to give him this land in verse seven, and then verse eight comes along, and he says, uh, "Oh Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? How am I to know?" God says, "I'm going to give you this land. I'm the God. I brought you out of Ur the Chaldeans. I'm going to give you this land." And Abram is still wondering, okay, I know, but Lord, how am I to know? How can I know? You've asked that question before. Lord, how can I know that I'm not trusting or following you in vain? How can I know that you won't give up on me? How can I know that you won't get fed up with me? How can I know that your promises are true. Abram is asking this question, how can I know? How can I know you're going to keep your promises? And God's answer to that in verses 9 through 17, he performs what is called a covenant. It's a, for our eyes, it's a pretty strange ceremony. Immediately he asks Abram, go get some animals. Go get a heifer, some turtle doves. Kill them and divide them. Now, it's likely Abram would have known exactly what's going on. In the ancient Near East, it was pretty common to make treaties. There was different types of treaties. There was treaties between nations or between tribes. There was also treaties or covenants that were made between kings and subjects. They were called suzerain vassal treaties. The suzerain was the king. The vassal was the subject. This is... This has all the characteristics of a suzerain vassal treaty. God is the king. Abram is the subject. And what they would do is they would make an agreement. And then a lot of times they would enact the curses. All, all of these ancient Near East covenants would have blessings. Okay, if, if, if you keep your end of the deal and I keep my end of the deal, this is how this will work out. And God's already explained that. I'm going to bless you. I'm your shield. But there would also be curses. And a lot of times in treaties, the curses were actually enacted out. And so this is, what, this is why they're dividing up these animals. The parties would actually walk through these animals so as to say, if I don't uphold my end of the bargain, may my blood be shed just as these animals', bloods, animals blood is shed. But, but here's the interesting thing that goes on in this passage. So they divide up the animals. Usually, both parties or the inferior party would just walk through the animals to take on the curses. That does not happen in this passage. You'll notice, look at verse 15. Abram falls asleep. Or verse 12. Verse 12, Abram falls asleep. Verse 17, when it says, When the sun had got down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. Where did this come from? (laughs) Sounds like a scene out of like Harry Potter or something. Uh, What's going on? If you turn over to the next book in the Bible, you'll see that in smoke and in fire, God often shows up in these forms throughout the Old Testament. And he's doing so here. Abram does not walk to the pieces. God himself, actually walks through these pieces so as to say, I am so committed to keeping my promises to you that I am willing to take on the curses of the failure of this relationship. Do you understand that? God walks through what Abraham is supposed to walk through. And, and so God is not only making the promise, he's also saying, if you don't uphold the promise, I'm going to take on the penalty. And that is precisely what you see happen when God comes to earth in Jesus. Jesus comes to earth in order to die for his people. There's not too many times you hear me say this, but I don't think you can fully understand the gospel of Jesus without looking at this passage. Because Jesus' very mission was to come to earth to die for his people. And this is, this is why. Because God has pledged himself to us. And so when Jesus comes, he comes and he is punished. That's why Paul can write in Galatians 3 notice what he says. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Curses everyone who hangs on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Do you see what's happening on the cross? On the cross, Jesus is actually receiving the curses of this covenant so that we might receive the blessing. Jesus is actually keeping a promise that was made thousands of years before so that you and I could be blessed, so that you and I could actually be in relationship with the Father. I hope that is a great comfort to you because here's what that means. That means you can have great security in your relationship with God because your relationship with God is determined by Christ's faithfulness. Your relationship with God is determined by Christ undergoing the punishment for yours and my sins. Have you ever considered the fact that that so much of your insecurity in your relationship with God stems from the fact that you act like you're the person who walks through those pieces? And and that, that Christ's sacrifice And God's favor is somehow dependent upon your performance. But if this is true, then your security and my security is actually in Christ's performance. And that is good news. That means you and I can actually take a deep breath and give thanks. Because God has fulfilled his promises. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteous. And the same is true of us. We trust God. We trust the God who sent his Son. And because our faith is in him and in his perfect record and in his death on the cross for us, we can be credited as right. We can be looked at and declared, You are good, you are worthy. You are my son and my daughter, and I'm well pleased in you. The hope of the Christian life is not in how committed you are to God. Our great hope in the Christian life is that God is so committed to us that He sent His Son to keep His promise to you and to me. And so the invitation of this passage is to rest. To actually take a deep breath and enjoy God's favor to you in Jesus. It is so easy to live the Christian life or to try and live the Christian life as it is some sort of hamster wheel of performance. I've got to keep it up. I've got to keep going. I've got to look impressive. I've got to do this. This is an invitation for you to rest and to trust in Christ's work for you and for me. Isn't that the type of Savior you want to live for? Isn't that the type of Savior you can love? The one who will lay his life down for you and for me. Let me pray for us. Father, We come to you tonight, Lord, thankful. We're thankful, Lord, that that you are a God who keeps your promises. We're thankful, Lord, that, that Jesus didn't merely come to be a great example or a great teacher, but, Lord, he came to rescue us from the curse of our sin. God, thank you. Thank you that you're faithful. Lord, even as we wrestle with our own doubts and our questions, Lord, I pray that by your grace, Lord, you would actually give us the courage to come to you with those, uh, to come to people that we trust with those. Uh, Not that they might be looked down upon or diminished, but that they might actually be answered in the person of Jesus. So we pray all of this in Christ's name.